Hello and welcome to our Thirsty Podcast. Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. My name is Jeremy Lightning, and I'm here with World War Z, Pastor Zarling. There you go. That's a good movie. Have you ever seen that movie, Jeremy? I have not. Uh, we are also here with my brother, Pastor Dan Lightning, uh, in Austin, Texas. Welcome, Dan. Hola. And so, Dan have you is, seen World War Z? I guess if that's the prerequisite for this podcast, uh, no, I haven't seen it. So I'm no, missing out on this too. I don't know. No, you, this like is the shtick. The shtick is uh, we're going to have to explain this to all of our guests. Uh, he closes the podcast by making fun of me and introducing me as, uh, well, for a while there, it was anything that was lightning themed. Uh, and, and so then I decided to start introducing the podcast by finding any reference to the letter Z uh, and uh, introducing him as that. So uh, that's why today he is World War Z. And, and, and then I finished the podcast by using a name from the TV show Psych for him. He ran, he ran out of lightning themed stuff. So now, now we use psych. Okay. I, but, I did uh, pretty well for 50 episodes. That, yeah, that was a long streak. Um, so uh, we have uh, my brother, Dan here with us, and uh, we're going to take a look at Luke chapter four later on in the episode. But uh, for right now, we wanted to get to know uh, what you do and uh, a little bit about your ministry. So, um, I, I don't know if, Michael, you had a question you wanted to lead off with, or should we just give the floor to him? Yeah, the, the first question I had is, uh, Dan, I was talking to someone about your ministry, and, and I think the answer that you gave this person is about 95% of your ministry is explaining your ministry. Is that accurate? <clears throat> that is true. <clears throat> All right, so if you want to explain yeah, that's your... that's a good explanation. So you have it right there. Yeah. This is actually what I do, 24-7, <laughs> 365 is I explain my existence and my purpose in God's kingdom. No, <laughs> um, but side note real quick, because you, you do, you kind of, uh, you kind of tease Jeremy with the, my brother, Jeremy with the lightning theme. Uh, I, I actually roofed houses in Mankato and Minnesota and in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin through college and seminary. And I got the nickname lightning but if you know who I am and you know the size of me and uh, how slow I am on the roof and otherwise, it's kind of like giving the nickname uh, Smalls to the fat guy in the gang, you know? So I got the nickname Lightning. It was uh, the ironic Lightning name, Fast. Anyhow, uh, yeah, uh, my, uh, Tell Network is, is actually the, uh, the ministry that I do work in and through. It's a, I'd like to call it like a, it's a cold term, but like a product of multi-language productions, which is the Wisconsin Synod's uh, world mission arm for uh, producing materials in the Bible and uh, in the Lutheran catechism in different languages. And traditionally over the years, they produced, they produced uh, pamphlets, translations of the Bible and distributed these from just imagine boxing up you know, books and sending them out to the mission field. Um, however, with the change of uh, the greatest communication change in 500 years now with the internet and uh, podcasts like this one and other ways of means of communication, more countries, even developing countries are using the internet to communicate and to, uh, and more, and more people are listening instead of just reading materials. So this was an outgrowth and it actually started in Spanish 
if you have ever heard of Academia Cristo, uh, they are our sister ministry. And I would say like the parent ministry at this point, because we're, we came after them. We looked at, our, or at the time, before I even took the call, the MLP, Multilanguage Productions, looked at the possibility of reaching the world through English because it's the lingua franca. It's the, it's the business language of everybody in the world. If it's not their first language, they learn it as their second. So now, ironically, Multilanguage Productions is using English to teach people that can learn in English. And so very basically, I teach the Bible and the Lutheran Catechism um, to people across the world in English using everyday means of communication. Uh, this is actually turned into one everyday means of communication. What we're on right now for the listener we're recording on Zoom, uh, this podcast now has become, or the podcast format has become an everyday means of communication. And we're exploring all of those avenues, teaching online um, uh, people, teaching people that have just learned about Christianity all the way to people that are, and this is what we get most often are people who they have the Bible in their hand, in their tribe, they're called the pastor, but they'd have no formal training. And that's scary for them. So when they meet us and we tell them and we give them a promise, we call it our promise to our customer, in this case, a promise to the person that comes through the program, we will equip you to know the Bible and to share the Bible. That's the multiplication aspect of our ministry, to share what you learn with your people. And so it's in a, it, along with teaching the Lutheran catechism and the Bible, we have a heavy emphasis on multiplication. And that person that you're training will be the next person to gather a group of people in their indigenous community, teach with the tools that they have and the know-how that they have in their community and find the next person to, to take the program and then to multiply uh, that way. Well, with that, Dan, you were mentioning, you know, that we're recording via Zoom. And so our listeners if the sound quality isn't that great well it's because we're recording via zoom from here in wisconsin all the way through texas and so forth and dan i've had i think four zoom and the listeners meetings. also need to be able to appreciate that uh pastor zarling is in the millennium falcon you can't see that right now in the podcast but he's actually flying the millennium falcon in his background on the zoom meeting it's just what i do because i've had four Zoom meetings this week for mission board stuff and have to have a different background for each one. And with that, uh, Dan, you know, I, I said this in a sermon a while ago that meetings, going to meetings is bad enough. And then this last two years, we've learned the soul sucking portion of a Zoom meeting on top of that. So how many kind of uh, meetings do you have virtually like this each day and, and during the week? How much has your soul been sucked? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, that's a great question. Um, I wish I could uh, put an hour to it, but uh, I, I've invested in, in blue light, blue blockers. Uh, in fact, uh, I'm not doing a plug right now for them, but that's what I'm wearing. Jeremy's probably, my brother's probably thinking, when has Dan ever wore glasses? It's, it is, it is, it's, it is the soul sucking part of the work and uh, it is not always fun staring into the cold eye of the, of a camera versus standing in front of, and I did ministry in the local parish for uh, seven years before this, uh, there's tons that you miss out on. Um, now it's better than a phone call because I can pick up on facial gestures and that sort of thing. But, um, one thing, yes. Yeah, so very, a lot, a lot of screen time. Sure. So Monday to Friday 
as my schedule. Uh, and I'll teach, I taught a class this week, every morning at 8 a.m. and 1 p.m. You have meetings in between. You have people that are going really far in the program that need special attention and special care, spe- a special phone call today on WhatsApp to, to talk about a deeper thing about dest- predestination. Um, you know, so you're always on and it feels like at first it felt kind of strange, but then as you think about it, it's like the, the people are the need. The people are the need, much like the local ministry, but you're not there. And that's the frustrating part. Um, when students make progress uh, through the program and they have finished a certain amount of courses, we do pair them up. And this is super important. We are not all online and we never want to be all online. We pair them up if there's a missionary that's local with that missionary. Uh, and in fact, uh, we have meetings with missionaries in Africa, Philippines, uh, where I work with those missionaries to pair them up. And so they can visit and follow up with that person face to face. And when COVID, I mean, let's hope it's soon, the world opens back up. Uh, really, my job is to be following up with people. Um, I have one trip planned uh, to Nicaragua, actually, this March, to follow up with somebody that is going through the program and to give them local encouragement uh, and uh, spend time with them. Uh, I've done it once with one student that's actually stateside uh, in Washington, DC. But the plan is, is that in the long run, we'll have many more places in the world where Wells, Wisconsin Synod has never had a world mission before. And we have several students in, in, in countries like this where we will have the seeds of a plant. Doing that work in Washington, DC sounds like uh, that that might be pretty hostile territory that you're doing mission work in. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. He's uh, actually, he's, he found Washington DC because it was a safe place. His name is Belichu and uh, he comes from Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, where there's a civil war going on. And uh, there is persecution uh, that we, we could talk about today too, that he has experienced, but uh, he's finding a safe place for himself in the moment while things settle down over there. And, uh, and he had already, gone through the Patel program for several months and very far along. And then uh, this is kind of a funny story vacation this year. I was just, I was at my uh, in-laws house in Michigan and all of a sudden I got a phone call from this guy from Addis Ababa and I, and I picked it up because I knew Belichu. I said, hello. He's like, I'm in the United States. He said, I said, really? How, you know, I didn't, how did you get here? Why are you here? He says, I'm in Richmond, Virginia. And, uh, and I thought, you know, the next question I thought he would ask was, can you come and see me? Right. Can we see each other? But do you know what he asked? He says, where's your nearest Lutheran church? <laughs> awesome. Isn't that cool? Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I don't know if we want to put a pin in it till later uh, when we've done the scripture reading, or if you want to talk about it now, but that definitely, I just wanted to definitely draw attention to you bringing up the a persecution story that uh, you might be able to share or maybe more than one. Um, I, we can, we can do that now or else I had another question that popped up while uh, Michael was asking you that first one in my mind. Yeah. Why don't you ask that question? Then we'll go into the gospel reading. So um, Dan, I, I don't think I've ever asked, we've talked about your ministry before, but I don't know if I've ever asked you it this way. Um, do you have any, way of or anybody in tell have any way of estimating how many groups of people with those pastors like you said the the leader of the group uh how many of those might be out there that we aren't 
uh, even aware of around the globe. Is, is that even possible to estimate? Um, I wouldn't have the tools to estimate that. <clears throat> I can tell you what we know from our own numbers. And we are by far not the only one doing this sort of work. Um, uh, I will say this, we have 300, uh, 230 people who have finished, and this is, they've finished the self-learning app, app on Android and, and iPhone. And we have about act, an active 10,000 active users on those apps. Out of those, um, we have about 230 finishers that will sign up for live group classes. Out of those, if you can imagine having, you know, as a pastor, having um, a prospect list, you're going to have a lot of attrition. Uh, and now out of those, you have about 30 to 40 that are active, active learners all the time. They're showing up to class. They're making progress. They're earning certificates <laughs> in the various courses that we offer. And, um, and out of those, I would say half of them have, have a group that has, has gathered, uh, that they've gathered. Either they're pastors without education um, and they call themselves pastors or they have gone to Bible college for a couple, like a year maybe. But uh, I would say that's, that's how I would estimate it. There is a better resource, and I don't want to misquote it, but uh, I, it, that can talk about the unreached groups in the world. And I'm just not going to name it uh, because I'm going to get it wrong. And uh, maybe we can put that in the show notes later. But there is actually a resource out there today. I want to say it's like Joshua Tree or Joshua Ministry that, tell, that talks about the, the unreached groups in the world that have never heard the name Jesus before in their life. And that's the best that the Christian you know, world has. has they're, they're the best effort I've heard of trying to find that number. Well, I guess the number I was thinking of was it sounded like you had people coming to you who were already Christian, already leaders of groups, but just didn't feel equipped to lead their groups. And uh, I don't know what you'd call them, like house churches or, or um, yeah, not, not so much like um, how many tribes are there out there who have never heard the name Jesus, but more so these, these groups that are sort of more or less churches and are looking for some kind of guidance. Yeah, it'd be hard to put a number on it. Um, those are the most eager ones, though, that that are are coming through the courses. Uh, not to say the others aren't. Um, there's tons of factors why people can't make it through. But I'd say the it's the pastor that says, I was given this responsibility. However, I wasn't given the training. And you know what? Our Senate is, I'm talking about the Wisconsin Senate, is rich in. It's rich in theology and training. And so this is a really interesting and it happened at an interesting time, I think, too. I just want to know, I want to make note of that. God's timing is always amazing. But uh, we began, I began as a missionary in 2019. And this was the first effort that we made as a corporate church body to do something like this. Um, there are, there are, there are fails all over the ministry. Don't get, don't, don't get you wrong. Just like everything else there are. But uh, some of the doors that are opening up are just are really incredible. We also work with the Pastoral Studies Institute at our seminary in Mequon, Wisconsin, regular meeting with them. So they're aware of what we're doing. We aren't training uh, seminary graduates here. We're training lay people to be lay ministers. We work with one Africa team uh, with their missionaries so that we're all on the same page and we're all, uh, so we're working towards, let's say if a tell student comes through, makes great progress, but wants formal seminary training, we have resources and we can tell them, you are already starting seminary training we aren't the seminary, but when you come through our program, we're, we are your prerequisite. We can give you recommendation. 
uh, for seminary training past this, uh, if you're a male and you're in fellowship with us in doctrinal agreement. Very good. Well, let's get into the gospel reading. Uh, Jeremy, if you want to read that for, for everyone. It, I've already been, they've heard my voice so much. You, I know, but but your your brother, I think he tuned in today just to hear his older brother read scripture to him. Just like just like when you were kids. No, you know, I just want to say this. I want to make a note. The thank you for having me, Michael. Thank you so much. This means a lot to be asked by you. But it means even more to be asked by my big brother to be on his podcast because I was a little brother growing up and everything cool was everything that he did with his big brother, older friends, right? And you can just imagine the little Danny tagging along or trying to tag along with the older cousins and the older, and, you know, it's like trying to get into their, their treehouse club, but you know, you knew sometimes you got invited up the rope, up the rope ladder, but not all the times. This is like, I was, when, I, when he, recently he asked me to come on, I was just like, finally, finally, I have my brother's love that you're he, in the, you're in the treehouse. I'm, I, I'm, I can climb the rope and I was invited into the treehouse to hang out with his, the cool older friends like Michael. So you thank go. you so much for having and, me. Well, that's awesome. And how much older is Jeremy than you? Do you want to reveal ages here? Uh, you're, uh, you're, I'm here, Jeremy. I'm 40. 40. It's over the hill. Yeah. Is that the hill now? Or is it, is there a new hill? Is 50 There's, the hill? I've heard people say 50 is the hill and 40 and whatnot. But Michael, I got to tell you, Dan probably has this very uh, video clip in mind right now. But there, there's video footage of a family reunion at Camp Croy in northern Wisconsin, where we our mom's side of the family would get together. And uh, it was a volleyball game, except it was one of those games where you have a sheet and a water balloon and you, you have four people try to throw the water balloon in the sheet over to another team that catches the water balloon in their sheet and back and forth like that. And it was like all the boy cousins are on this sheet throwing the water balloon on their side. And, and there's a little Dan and, and he, he's coming up to grab hold of the corner and join the team. And uh, big brother, Jer, very sort of not so subtly, pushes him off to the side. And, and in a more recent Thanksgiving dinner, uh, we were watching the old footage of the family reunions. And of course, I look like the big meanie as I'm, I'm setting him off to the side and all the aunts and uncles and cousins say, oh, because they, they felt so bad for little Dan. So, Well, I am glad that we can make up for all of those years, Dan, of growing, on, growing up under Jeremy's shadow that you are our first... Uh, Zoom guest out of all of ones before we have any former seminary professors or any other pastors or lay people, we get wow, yeah, we get the younger brother of Jeremy Lightman. That is an honor and a privilege, and I thank you. Four years younger, you know. Hey, well, and, and now, just so you know, too, which Lightman really... brother has been has which Lightman brother has been on the Wells Connection? <laughs> okay. Hey, listen, what, 92, 93. Do you remember this chair? Like I, you're the beloved son here. Okay. Look, 92, 93. Think about this. You know, who is the biggest Michael Jordan, Chicago Bulls fan in the family? I think it was me. No. Uh, and yet we're living in the Chicago area and my dad. 
Oh, that. Okay. My dad gets tickets from a member. The year 92. I thought he was throwing out percentages here or something. Oh, I'm 92, sorry. 93. No, I was no the year, yes, 92, 1993. I guess I got to put the 19 in there. Um, and, and who does dad choose to go and see Michael Jordan play? Jer. I think I, I always thought that was because I sold the enough. The son gets all the blessing. He gets the lion's share, and that's what drove me to be the prodigal and to be the black sheep, I think. So if we're going to start revealing deep issues about family, I think we can start right there. That, maybe, yeah. maybe I haven't said that out loud on a Zoom podcast in public, but now, now it's out there. Oh, don't worry. Your parents don't listen to this. Good. <laughs> uh, actually, they do. Oh, yeah. Um, Great. Sorry, Dad. I thought that was because I thought I got those tickets because I sold enough uh chocolate bars for my soccer team let's not make this work righteousness <laughs> so let's read uh, how about let's read the gospel i'm ready let's, now let's get into the gospel lesson yes this is from luke chapter 4 starting with verse 16 uh jesus is back in galilee and uh it says he went to nazareth where he had been brought up as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He, that is Jesus, rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began to tell them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. They all spoke well of him and were impressed by the words of grace that came from his mouth, and they kept saying, Isn't this Joseph's son? He told them, Certainly you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown everything we heard you did in Capernaum. And he said, Amen, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But truly, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was shut for three years and six months, while a great famine came over all the land. Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow of Zarephath in Sidon. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was healed, except Naaman the Syrian. All those who were in the synagogue were filled with rage when they heard these things. They got up and drove him out of the town. They led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he passed through the middle of them and went on his way. Right, thanks, Jeremy. So the question I have for you guys is here Jesus is in the synagogue and he reads Isaiah chapter 61, which is the appointed Old Testament lesson for this Sunday. And in the beginning, uh, the worshipers in the synagogue, they like this hearing, this scripture reading, until Jesus applies it specifically to them. So why the change? Why do they like this scripture reading applied to Jesus? And then why did they dislike it so strongly they tried killing him? I'd, I'd say, first of all, that uh, it, it's kind of like seeing your kid 
perform well in a sporting event or uh, uh, in a recital or in a play. And, and it's, it's kind of like, well, that, that's how they were seeing it. They were saying, here's, here's our little Jesus that grew up with us. And, and now, oh, look at him. Isn't he a big, impressive preacher? And, um, and, and it, it's the, in verse 22 in particular, they all spoke well of him and were impressed by the words of grace that came from his mouth. Even there, it doesn't quite seem like they're, they're paying lip service. They're saying nice things, but it's, it's really sort of an end run around to pat themselves on the back that uh, we really did a great job of raising him. And, uh, oh, look at what an impressive speaker he is. And, uh, yeah. So, Dan, you want to finish up the second half of that question? That is, what turned? Why did they turn so quickly on their right. favorite son? I don't I don't know. You know, there's, I, I do know that first, like the shortest sermon in history, he has preached some long ones in Matthew. Uh, this one is today. The scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, um, which I don't, I don't know if they were too offended. Like uh, I, they might, they, I, I thought they would become more offended. Oh my goodness. He's calling himself God. You know, like they didn't have that kind of reaction. I'd be a little bit, I would be a little bit concerned if I grew up with, let's say an older brother, that uh that like whole his whole life never really had a god complex and then boom he's 34 and he says like i am the the branch from the stump of david you know the 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 quote from the old testament (laughs) so i they're not offended at first in fact i think they said all spoke well of him and it's the second part right that they get offended it's because uh, to me it's it's the second part of the sermon when he says look at this you're gonna you're asking for a sign and I know that you are, cause I can read your mind and, or maybe he's hearing the whispering. And, and he says, the gospel is for the spiritually hungry. Look at these two examples, uh, both of them Gentiles, of course, the synagogue full of Jews. And I'm assuming all Jews that he's speaking to. And I think they're more offended at the, at how far the gospel goes uh, and that the gospel is for the spiritually hungry. And he, they don't seem to be spiritually hungry. They seem to be just fine just fine. And so they're a little, they're offended. And that's what, what, how I read it, why they drive him to, to uh, the end or to the cliff. But uh, how about you, Michael? Yeah, I think that's a great way of putting it. They're spiritually hungry that, you know, here Jesus is saying that the Jews felt that the gospel was just for them. And now Jesus is saying, no, look, you guys, your ancestors, they rejected the gospel. And that's why Elijah didn't go to the Jews with the miracle of the oil that didn't run out and the flour that didn't run out during the the famine. Instead, she goes to this Gentile, the widow of Zarephath. There's lots of lepers in the time uh, of Elisha, but he doesn't heal any of them. He heals Naaman, the Syrian, a Gentile. And that's what gets them so upset that uh, the gospel is only meant for us. And then, you know, Jesus makes it clear, no, it's meant for all people. Yeah. So you're saying, uh, he, he want, they, they're asking whether explicitly or just in their minds, they're asking to see a miracle. Come on, do some of your, do some of your tricks. Like you've, we've heard you've done in other places. And, uh, in a way he kind of, if grants the request, he says, you want a miracle? Hey, look at this. These unbelievers who know nothing about uh, God's word or very little are are hungry are hungering and thirsting for more of it. 
And uh, that's, that's miraculous in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And it, it also kind of, I, I, we didn't really plan it this way, but it kind of fits in with uh, what you do with tell, doesn't it? Like you've got outsiders that are hungering and thirsting for more instruction. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, that it jumps off the page in my context about the, and it really should be all of ours. I, I think we live in a, what, a pre-Christian world now. It's generations have not taught their kids about Jesus. And so they, they're like starting from, from blank here, but anyhow, and that's, that's what like Naaman was. And he didn't know about the, it took a servant girl, right. To tell him, <laughs> it took somebody that went to the Sabbath school to tell him about Jesus. And that's almost like the world that we live in now. Um, you know, that God, God sending you and me to this world, even, even in uh, Texas, where I live in Wisconsin, where you live, where people are completely uh, helpless and have no idea how to deal with their emotions or deal with their problems or deal with their sin. That's what's at the core of it. And, and here, here you are reaching out. Um, just a note about, well, never mind. Oh, maybe we'll get to that at the Old Testament lesson. Well, I've, and then the part that I was thinking of and what I wanted to talk about with this lesson is that Jesus is then persecuted. He's dragged out of the town, uh, gone to the, taken to a cliff. And Dan, have you been to Israel? I have. And yeah. uh, have you been, Michael? I have. And I know Jeremy has, because what comes to mind is being outside the city of Nazareth and walking to that cliff where they think Jesus yeah. would have walked on 2000 years ago. And then, you know, being there physically in that place and looking down because we're, I was in a group of pastors and pastors always going to go to the edge of the cliff and look down and you got to take pictures there. And that that's where they would have tried to throw Jesus down. Yeah. And, and with that then is uh, the persecution that comes that we should expect it. Uh, the epistle lesson for this coming Sunday then is Acts 4. Starting in verse 23, I won't read all of that, but uh, the preceding verses, Peter and John are thrown in prison because they keep preaching about this Jesus. uh, And then they're finally released and they're told to stop speaking or teaching in the name of Jesus. Verse 19, but Peter and John answer them, decide whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And then the text for this Sunday is 23 through 30, where they pray for, uh, for boldness to keep preaching despite uh, the persecution that's coming. And they quote uh, Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2 in their prayer. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers are gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And I use that verse uh, recently in in the book that I'm writing in that uh, I said, the only thing that the kings of the earth are united in is uh, in their opposition to the anointed one, Christ, and his anointed ones, us who are baptized. You know, that the kings of the earth, they are going to drag us before kings and councils and authorities to persecute us. So, Dan, what kind of persecution have have the people to whom you're ministering experienced? What kind of stories can you share with us? Right. Thanks. Good question. <clears throat> so um, I'm surprised more by how much students living in 
oppressed, let's say Christian oppressed countries don't talk about, don't talk about it. Uh, which is kind of interesting, I think, you know, because, you know, if we spiritually have our, our, our toast stubbed here in the United States or Hobby Lobby loses a case in the Supreme Court, we get pretty upset and say, here it comes, right? And here they are, you know, <clears throat> one student, for instance, and, and very often I got, I'll, I'll put this, this um, disclaimer out there, very often persecution goes along with civil disrest or unrest, sorry. <clears throat> so, the two can be very confused because a whole groups of leadership might be one religion that doesn't like the other religion. And so something politically changes. There's an election that goes one way. And one student, I remember um, WhatsApping us and saying, Hey, I'm sorry. I I'm so sorry. I've missed the last month of classes. My house got raised. You know, Jer, you know, you're, you're a teacher and you can think of the excuses for students that they don't get their homework done. And this guy, his, his problem was he, he just is going through uh, his house being completely bulldozed over and don't laugh. I'm just saying he's fine and he was fine, but that's the thing. That's some types of persecution, the overt persecution that goes along with being a minority group. If you're a Christian, even if you don't, uh, if you're just born into a Christian family, you're going to be persecuted in some countries. Um, from what our experience is working with systems that are like caste systems um, or countries or students from caste systems, Christians are always the lowest from our experience. The lowest caste, they have the least respect and honor. They have no upward mobility. Um, so that's more of a built-in persecution that we don't see every day. They, they'll never make a, an in income that will make them comfortable, but they don't talk about it either. Like they just, that's the way that it is. And that's, they're okay with that, which teaches me something and humbles me about my faith. One of the most um, interesting stories that, that, and it's hard for them to talk sometimes about this is uh, my friend, he's actually in the United States now. He immigrated from Congo. But uh, he started in the Congo and he, um, his father, mother, Christian, he watched his father murdered in, in front of his own eyes and his brothers, a couple of his brothers, he escaped and his mom survived. He was recaptured in uh, by a anti-Christian group and he was brought in with other Christians to a stadium uh, where the executioner was coming to, to, to do a mass execution. And the way that he tells the story uh, is he and the others said, let's just run for the doors. So he ran for the doors and uh, the machines guns started going off. There were people falling around him and he'll tell you it's by God's grace that he escaped through those doors. He lived in the bush for 10 days eating sugarcane. He crossed two countries where he could have been deported. He made it to Kenya where there's a refugee camp, a UN refugee camp. He lived there with malaria, <laughs> uh, terrible conditions. And his, and God kept his faith the whole time. He did. And, and finally he hit the lottery, which the lottery is he, he won an immigration to the United States for free through the UN. The United States takes in many immigrants. He was one of them. He lands actually right uh, here in Austin, Texas. And that's how I got to know him. And I confirmed him in our church. And he will tell you, and he, he is the happiest man, whether he would have made it or not. He will, he just, he just exudes, exudes excitement. He want to be around him. Uh, he's very poor. Uh, and that's interesting in our text. I think mm -hmm. Jesus comes mm -hmm. for the spiritually poor for sure, but that's not true with Naaman. He's rich, but he comes especially for, in my experience, the students that we have, 
the physically poor. I'm not saying just for them because obviously Naaman's rich, but it, there's something about the message of the gospel that whether you're going through persecution, like my friend Israel did, uh, that one, the story I just told, or uh, you're physically poor, uh, something about this gospel says, hey, I'm here for you. Uh, he comes for the poor. And then there's other persecutions and you can cut me off. I don't want to go on and on about this, but go ahead. The sad part is the devil's worked uh, persecutions between Christians. And in, well, in South Asia, I'll say, uh, I know of a story or two, one story at least, where a Christian group knows that the religion is illegal, Christianity, and they're both underground. However, one wants to become a more prominent ministry than the other, right? So they will report another, another ministry to the government, uh, and that government will shut down the other ministry. See how sad that is? In Ethiopia, um, actually, that gentleman I spoke of before that, that is in Washington, D.C., doing outreach with tell materials to immigrants in the United States, he, in Addis Ababa, he, he witnessed the Orthodox Church, which is the dominant church in that country, uh, burn down Protestant churches out of jealousy, or not out of jealousy, out of being threatened. And uh, so you have that kind of persecution happening as well. By the way, what side country? Note, Ethiopia. Yeah, mm -hmm. Ethiopia. Which, side note, do you know that there's more Lutherans in Ethiopia than North America? <laughs> yeah, nine to 10 million, he says. There are nine to 10 million. I'm not saying they're all confessional Lutherans, but they all are uh, they're all are they're all Lutherans. And I estimate what United States, how many Lutherans do we have? Maybe three to 4 million, I'm guessing that it's incredible. Yeah. Well, well with that, I don't know, do you have any questions to follow up on that, Jeremy? Uh, no, not really. Um, so, well, thanks for, those, thanks for those stories, Dan. So let's bring it home for our listeners. For you guys, what kind of persecution do you see happening or going to be happening here in our nation? So, for example, I was listening to a story about this the other day that Canada recently passed a law, and it's not worded this way that it's outlawing Christianity, but it really does, because it said that uh, you cannot have any kind of speaking out of gender reassignment for transgenderism okay so if you speak for transgenderism you're good but if you speak out against it in any way and it's written vague enough so that it can be applied to you and i if we were pastors there to speak out in a bible study or in a sermon that that would then be deemed illegal and what i was listening to is uh, for us in america you know, that's only, you know, just to the north of us. It, that can be happening here very soon. So that's one example I think that will be coming because uh, transgenderism, that is the most protected class in our nation right now. And if you speak out against it in any way, because uh, I was, again, I was listening to this and I mentioned this in Bible study the other day, uh, or no, it was at our pastor's conference on Monday that, uh, you know, if you notice, there's a lot of older men that are transitioning to become women, but it's the opposite when it's teenage girls. And why would it be opposite when it's these preteen and teenage girls? And it's because, you know, these girls are just a little, you know, they're a little off, they're a little strange. They may not be 
being very beautiful, maybe kind of pudgy and get picked on because preteen and teen girls are pretty mean. And yet, as soon as they say, well, I'm transitioning to become transgender, not only can they no longer be bullied because they're protected, but they're also then celebrated. And so you see how the devil works on these young people to protect them from all of these, uh, from bullying and so forth, which shouldn't happen, but then uh, th that lie. And then you and I as Christians, we can't speak out against it. So that's one way I see uh, Christianity going to be outlawed in our nation. Why don't, uh, actually, I'm wondering if uh, it, it's kind of hard to prognosticate, you know, like how exactly, in what ways are the, are the devil's attacks going to come? I, I guess you can sort of see some indicators there, but uh, I'm curious about the connection, Dan, that you mentioned between um, the persecution of Christians in other countries and, and the caste system. And I wonder if that has something to do with it. And maybe that might be a, a way that the sort of the democratic nature of our country might hopefully be a stopgap against that. But it is, do you see any, talk more about that connection, Dan. I think that was an interesting point you brought up. Yeah, well, thank, Michael, that's really, yeah, thank you, Jer. Uh, I'm thinking also of what Michael's saying about, um, you know, the attack on our, on our youth and, 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 and that actually starts at the school level. And, and many times we have uh, the replacement of the parents being what is, what is being taught to the kids in school. I'm sounding like an old Kaji man now, <laughs> but it's not so much because when kids come home, and they say, mom, dad, I, 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 I don't get why you have to be this way. I've been taught that I need to, you know, the, the, the structure of the, the God-giving structure of, of having a father and mother in the home that's teaching kids about, you know, sexuality. That's what God intends. Um, and so I would say, what can we do in our, our control? Well, it's coming. It's here. It's, it's definitely there in Canada, right? And uh, <clears throat> uh, it's going to come back down to the family unit. I think the responsibility of fathers and mothers and the strong Christian community, because the, that Christian community is like you said, Jer, you know, the, in the lowest of the low um, people in, in his, that are held in lowest esteem, they're still Christians. They're still, they're still celebrating the, the, the gospel and grace in their life. Um, so maybe we've been living in this really privileged country for a long, long time. And uh, certainly we can do as a Christian has the right to do in this country. There's nothing unright, uh, illegal about voting for what you feel like could boost up a good, uh, a good free speech wor world and country. But at the same time, those, those, are, those could be taken away from us at any time. Peter here, he's speaking to the authorities and uh, he has kept, uh, you know, God is his highest authority, and there are no rights for a Christian back then. None. You would you would be like there's and and the and the church flourished. The church grew rapidly as you read through the book of Acts in a time when there was zero legal rights. Um, so I, I don't know. I would be postulating to say the future of the United States. I would only be throwing out wild guesses because these things swing back and forth politically and the rights and what you can say and can't say, but you're certainly right. We have, uh, we have, 
we have some challenges ahead of us. That doesn't mean that God isn't working through, uh, through his way, like he did in the first century, like he will today. But I feel that concern with you, Michael. Well, and then with that, building on what you said uh, with, for, with the first century Christians is, I, I think that you know, we have become lazy uh, here in America as Christians because we've been protected for so long. We, religious liberty for over 200 years. And now maybe, and I've said this for a long time and people always thought it was weird for saying this is, you know, what we need in America is a good old fashioned persecution, <laughs> you know, something to wake us up and it's, it's coming. Now I wonder though, for the people that you're talking about that uh, are persecuted in other nations and then they come here and they probably go, this is nothing, brother. This is nothing compared to what we've, what I've seen. I'll let you finish that thought, but the side note on what you just said, um, (laughs) one of my African students, he says, uh, in America, your animals have more rights than some of our human beings. (laughs) So, yeah, that's true. Well, he was, and, and Dan was kind of bringing up that point before when he was saying, you know, uh, I forget the example you used, but it was like, uh, oh, somebody wrote a nasty post about me on, on social media and, I, and I'm being persecuted or somebody blasphemed Jesus on Twitter uh, and we're, we're suffering such persecution. Not, yeah, not really. <laughs> yeah, it, it's when... It's when the government starts mandating for our public schools or our private schools, like if you have to have a, a third bathroom for a, a different gender, and they start teaching, telling you have to uh, have this kind of uh, this kind of curriculum in the schools, and we're not there yet, but it can be coming. And then it, I, one of the discussions I had recently with some pastors is. I think part of the problem is that we in America too, we've bought into so much by, by accepting so much from our government. You know, for us as churches uh, that we have as pastors, the three of us have certain uh, rights as called workers, you know, tax, tax status, that our churches have certain tax exempt status when it comes to purchasing things and that uh, we have, uh, we have buildings and property that aren't on the tax rolls. Our schools are receiving money through school choice. And so that makes it much more difficult if all of a sudden governing authorities who have historically always been against Christianity, then they switch and they turn on us. Whereas if we didn't have any of those blessings, we could just say, forget it and just go on with it. But pastors and leaders get kind of are going to get kind of timid when all of a sudden the government threatens to take tens of thousands of dollars away from us or, you know, charges that to us. And it's just something I've been thinking about lately as you see the kings of the earth conspiring against us, like David wrote in Psalm 2. All right. What else do you guys want to talk about as we as we wrap this up here? Um, Any more? I I just noticed. No, I, it, it had to do with the uh, Acts reading. Um, I, I've just got done teaching uh, the Christian church class on uh, Acts 16 and the jailer at Philippi. And it's just interesting God's use of earthquakes because there it was to spring all the prison cells open 
and uh, the, the, the jailer thought all the prisoners escaped. But here in um, verse 31, it says, after they prayed, the place where they were gathered was shaken. Also, everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And uh, I, I don't know, it just kind of struck me as earthquake. Is it a sign of God's judgment or a sign of God's it, here? It seems to be affirmation of, of their message. Yeah, God, God does like sending uh, earthquakes. I don't think earthquakes usually happen in that area of the world, do they? Uh, what was it? It was Bethsaida or Capernaum that were destroyed a couple of times. By, they, they actually do. They have. Okay. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm grabbing at straws here. Well, I, I do have one question to, to kind of wrap things up. Just to pick your guys' brains on this, as pastors, what do you think? Are we preparing our people and preparing our young people for persecution and prosecution? So are we preparing them for what's coming? Who wants to answer? Tell. It sounds like tell is. I think we have a you know, the best offense is a good defense. We always think of persecution in the sense of like, how can I avoid pain? <laughs> when doing parish ministry, I did a couple bedsides. And I don't know about you pastors, uh, but if you've ever asked somebody near the end, like, um, are you angry with God? Because you that's what you want to get down to, I think, pretty quickly at some point. Uh, then that their answer will reveal a lot, but I've only, I've had positive answers to that being like this. How can I be angry? And this is somebody that's going through chemo, like with tons of pain in their body. How can I be angry with God after I know what Jesus has done for me? And you walk out of that from the hospital back to your car and you're like, what have I been complaining about? You know, like, man, I should shut up and listen to the gospel again. Um, so I guess the best offense against persecution, if you want to talk in uh, I don't know, sports terms, is or, or the best defense is, is filling your life again and filling your home again with the gospel. And I'm thinking about families that are living through terrible conditions you know, far away, but then families that are living with, with persecution within their own family from their own children, you know, because they, they have backwards ideas or ideas that, I can't be around you or I can't even be associated with you. You're right, Jared. We're kind of like getting to a caste system almost with people, clean and unclean people in a, in a way. And the unclean people are the people very often who are going back to their Bibles and they're going to church and they are around the means of grace and they have, uh, they ha they have Jesus in their life. And that's a scorn thing for many, for this generation. Many people will just look down on you for that. That's a real persecution. It's not overt. It's not getting your house raised, but it feels that way for a parent or maybe uh, a family member that has, uh, that has outed you and said, I don't want anything to do with you. Um, you return back to that friend, Jesus, whose day of, um, what does he say? Verse 19, Luke 4 to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And I just want to end with this. I thought this was really cool because Michael sent me this beforehand and I looked at the Isaiah passage and I noticed that Jesus stops right in the middle of a verse. Did you notice that? The Isaiah passage in Isaiah 61 actually goes like this. Verse two, 
uh, it's talking about this larger than life figure, right? The Messiah figure that's uh, he's talked about earlier in chapter 11. Now he's saying the, the, the sovereign Lord is on me. And then verse two, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Mm. But he, you know, as a preacher, you stop on purpose. And I, I don't know, I don't want to read too much into it, but I thought that was really interesting that he stops there because he's saying, hey, this is this coming of God. It's going to be about his, this coming is going to be about proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. There will be more comings, right, of, of God's justice. But here we live in this time of grace. And so um, I don't know if that's the long way to answer the question, Michael, but uh, I would say continue to live in God's, the, 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 the grace of God's favor favor of uh, dads uh return back to that catechism with your kids uh moms pray with your kids on the way to school and soccer practice make god the central figure you know make it so that your kids know that you just don't show up at church and then you wink the rest of the week at god and, and jesus but that he is a big part of your life personally and they can see that you suffer because of the gospel. And maybe that would help them as young people to see that this is more than just window dressing of my dad and my mom's life. And they see there's more there and that they, it's, it's worth fighting for because it's eternal life. It's, it's grace. What it made me think of was um, it's not this part of acts uh, in chapter four here, but it, it's very close to this section where the apostles actually uh, make a big deal out of their persecution and wear it as a badge of honor. And they say that they, we were accounted worthy of being of suffering for the name. And uh, so I think that's a big part of the preparation too, to say, Hey, this is act in God's kingdom. This is actually a badge of honor if you get persecuted for your faith. So don't shrink from it. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know if we've been saying that a lot, so I don't know. Yeah. If we, if we are, doing a good job of preparing, uh, but definitely what Dan said about getting, making Jesus and his grace the focal point and, and the means of grace and the catechism uh, as guides toward that focal point will certainly do a, a lot to prepare us for persecution. Well, great. Well, and then I can wrap it up with this. As you were talking, Dan, uh, I was thinking too of Almost every single person I have taken through an adult confirmation class in 25 years in the ministry, I will preface, you know, we get to about lesson three or four, and I'll say, all right, you, you got into here a little bit, and I want to warn you that as you dig deeper into God's word and you become more active in your faith in our church, the devil's going to come on you harder. And he didn't uh, do this too often to you because you weren't a Christian and so you already had you or you were a nominal Christian in name only and he didn't bother with you but now you're a, you're going to become a stronger Christian and you're going to begin bringing more of your family and friends and uh, other employees that work with you and now you're starting to win people away from him so he, now he's going to get upset and he's going to come at you and every single person over 25 years said, oh, pastor, that's already happening. You know, they have seen it, the devil just turning on them like this. But I was thinking in the exact same passage you were, Jeremy, if we can train our people so that they see persecution coming and they go, woohoo, I'm being persecuted. I'm so excited uh, mm -hmm. because they're counted worthy of being, of having that name Christ put on us. 
All right. Well, we'll wrap it up there. Well, thanks, Dan. That was awesome. Yeah, my pleasure. Agreed. Is uh, like I said, to climb into the treehouse. It's uh, it's a great honor for for both. And uh, thank you for having me. Never even had a treehouse. <laughs> It wasn't until the grandkids came. It was those grandkids. Oh, yeah. Then dad decides to build a tree house in the backyard oh, for them. Now we're keeping lots of guilt on dad if he's listening. So, <laughs> dad, uh, I apologize. I, uh, I'm a sinner. There you go. You right. are forgiven. So this is uh, Pastor Zarling with Pastor Dan Lightenin and Methuselah Honeysuckle. So stay, stay thirsty, my friends, and then drink deeply from the water of life. <laughs>